0: The title of the message is Extreme Makeover. Extreme Makeover Part 2, Extreme Makeover God's Edition. And we talked about, of course, we're familiar with that TV series of shows about people who made radical turnarounds and radical changes in their life. And the, uh, the home edition, of course, refers to homes that have been radically remodeled. So encouraging that spiritually we have the same opportunity. God gives us the same opportunity to be remade, to be reformed, transformed, changed for the better. And that's very exciting. I mentioned last week, for some people, even some people who are are Christians, this is the best news they've never heard. Because the good news of being a Christian is not just that your sins are forgiven, as awesome as that is, and as necessary as that is, but it's much more than that. Our lives can be radically changed. was the song we sang a few minutes ago? From the inside out, we can become different people. And it's so encouraging when we see someone who changes for the better, isn't it? Uh, You know, one of the things I appreciate about my wife, being married 32 years now, we, uh, I've seen her make fantastic changes personally uh, along the way, and it just helps me to appreciate her and love her even more. Hopefully that's going on in your marriage, in your life, in your family. It's very encouraging. Is there something that you want to change this morning? Uh, If there is, and I hope there is, uh, because there's certainly something you need to change. I am just going to assume that of everybody here. If there's nothing that you need to change, this is not the church for you. Because we're a group of people here who always have got something that we need to grow in, that we want to change. And it's very exciting to change. It's very exciting that God gives us this opportunity, isn't it? So let's read again. We'll start in Ephesians 4. and we will highlight this opportunity we have to be different because God has transformed us. Verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live... As the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. We'll stop there just for a moment. Of course, this is Paul, the Christian missionary Paul. Writing to his friends at the church in Ephesus, people that he knows, people that he's been with for a long time in the past. He's known them for eight to ten years. And a lot of them he knows in that church came out of the, the world of that time. They had no understanding of who God is, or who God, the, the one true God at least. And many of them had very little, if any, moral standards, boundaries understanding of right and wrong, etc. And so he's just reminding them, hey, you've come out of that. Don't go back there. That world, that life, you were on a path of destruction. There was nothing good about that life that you once lived. You have an opportunity for a new life now, right? So let's go on. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught... In him, in accordance with the way of truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness And holiness. Did you see that last part there? He says not only. It's not about what we've left behind. It's also about what we have now. The opportunity to be made new. God has done something for us. That we could not do for ourselves. We can have a new mind. We can have new desires. New is generally good isn't it? We like new things. I like it when I get a new car. Now, if you know me, I haven't had one in a while. I like it when I get some new clothes. As long as Mary Kay goes out and buys them for me. Because I do not like shopping. But I do enjoy the new clothes, honey. So just keep going and getting them for me, okay? Father's Day is coming up. You know, I don't know why it occurred to me that I should mention that. It's next Sunday. Did you? Did you? uh, Did you uh, mothers know that? Did you children know that? It's next Sunday. Some of them are saying, "No." I'm so glad I brought it up. It would be terrible. It would be terrible not to honor appropriately your father next Sunday. And hopefully you'll get him something new. (laughs) Yes. I like Father's Day. It's my favorite holiday of the year. But it's so fantastic that we can be made new spiritually. We don't have to be, not only do we not have to be guilty and tarnished by our sins of the past, we have the opportunity to start over, to live a new life, a different life. It says here that we have been created, verse 24, to be like God. Isn't that fantastic? In the same way that God created the universe. He took some raw material, he took something that was... Shapeless, And Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says it was without form and void. It was just matter. And he shaped it into this incredible world and universe that we live in. That's what God did with our lives. When we come to Christ, he took us. Just some raw material. A lump of clay. We were nothing. We were without shape. We have nothing special about us. He took us and He he shaped us. He created us into something different to be like God. That's pretty fantastic. That's way different than who you used to be. Can we all agree on that? Those of us who decide to follow Jesus, who are we before we decide to follow Jesus? Not like God. Maybe in some ways, but not characteristically, not as a pattern, not as a rule, not as a way of life. Now we have the opportunity, by the power of God, to be like God. Perhaps it is the best news you have never heard. Perhaps for many of us as Christians, we heard it, we know it, but maybe as the years have passed, we've forgotten. Do you realize no matter how many years you've been in the faith... 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you still have the same opportunity to change, to be transformed. You know, I gave several illustrations last week that I will uh, not return to this week, especially not the picture of Mary Kay and I on our honeymoon. But it also reminds me of... uh, a movie series that a lot of us are familiar with, Transformers. Yes, the, the is that a Marvel comic, Marlon? No, it is not. And so therefore, you, you like the Marvel comics, right? So you're not so excited about Transformers. But you are. More, Yeah, yeah, okay. So if you know anything about it, I think they've had like four of these Transformers, right? In these, what looks like initially to be these ordinary cars transform into war machines. And in the same way, God takes us in all of our ordinariness. I'm sure that's not a word, but hopefully it communi- communicated something, right? In all of our ordinariness. It's like that car. He took it and he transforms us into a mighty powerful entity, a life force which is able to change and be different and do different things and perhaps, as a, in that sense, uh, fight a spiritual war against the, the parts of our character that have plagued us for years and sins that have perhaps dominated us for years and to really become a different person, to be like God. Pretty Awesome. So let's go on and let's read the rest of the chapter, because that's where we're going to finish up today. And now, the Christian missionary, Paul, is going to give some specifics about this new life, and he's going to compare it to the old life. So now it's going to get very practical. It's going to get very real. You know, we are the Lifeway Church. What does that mean? Real life, God's way. So this is real life stuff here. Now I'm going to read it, and then we're going to have a bit of a discussion here with the the whole group. What do you notice about uh, these things that uh, sort of as you look at this whole list of things that Paul grew up, what are some of the things that you notice that we can learn as we read through this together? Let's, uh, Let's read, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. But must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so what are some of the things, when you look at that whole list, I'm not talking about anything perhaps specific in there, but as you look at the whole list of things that Paul says, what are some of the things that, uh, what do you notice about that, when you look at that list as a whole, what are some of the things you notice and perhaps learn from that? Saida? Exactly. Exactly. Every single thing that is mentioned here has to do with our relationships with each other. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of everything that describes somebody who's living for Christ and who's living for God. But a good place to start is how we treat each other, our relationships. What what does the Bible say? The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways that you show that you love God is by how you love your neighbor, how you love one another. So they're all about relationships, aren't they? What else do you notice here? We can be here all, we can stand here all day. <laughs> Adam? Adam? Yeah, he starts out, the previous verse, we're created to be like God, and then when he gets to the end, he says we need to be imitators of God. Because now, because we've been empowered by God, we have the ability to actually imitate God. And all of these things that are mentioned here, the ways of love, and that's a good way to summarize everything here, is acting in love. The ways of love, the ways of loving another, are all... The characteristics of what we learn from god and these are all ways that we can be like god okay what else do you notice about this list rob what comes, out of your mouth what comes out of your mouth is important a lot of these things relate to the tongue the things that we say or that we don't say sean in all your ways acknowledge him does it say that in there Exactly. Acknowledging God all your ways acknowledge God. What we need to understand is that many of us, in a moment I'll give you a chance to share about that too, many of us have experienced radical changes in our life since we decided to follow Jesus. Since we, who gets the glory for that? Who's responsible for that? It's God who's enabled it. It's God who's empowered it. We're not able to do that. We have a part to play. He doesn't work against our will. But when we decide we want to be that way, once, we, once we're in Christ, the potential that we have for how we can grow and change is really unlimited spiritually. Who gets the glory for that? God does. He's doing something for us that we could not explain or that we could never imagine or be on our own. Anything else you notice about that list here? Erica? Um, taking action of uh, really curing our hearts and like getting rid of all bitterness and disgrace and anger and wrongs, those are things that are just kind of unique in us. And yeah. they're saying take ownership of all the bad stuff. Great. Get it out. One other comment. Jason? Great, it's very practical. In fact, if you just take these things, and this is not an exhaustive list, and there are other lists that are similar to this, and other parts of the New Testament, and other parts of the Bible. But even just this little short list of things, it really is saying, here's how you know who really is a Christian and who really isn't. It can be confusing, isn't it? People claiming to follow Christ, people claiming to be believers, people claiming to be Christians. And Paul says, if you're really a believer, this is how you're going to live your life. And it's very practical. These are things that could be seen. These are things that could be noticed. If you claim to be a Christian today, is there evidence in your life to support that? Right? Right? Very practical. Let me mention a few other things that I noticed from this list. For every negative, there is a matching positive. Did you notice that? That's important to understand because some people think that being a Christian is about things that you don't do. But it's much more than that. It's about getting out. Yeah, it's about getting out of your life the stuff that's ruining your life anyway, the stuff that's you know, hurting your quality of life, but it's also about what you do to replace that. Instead of having any unwholesome talk, instead what we do is we consciously make an effort to say things to each other to build each other up. It's not enough. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not enough to not talk bad about people. As good as it would be if you would do that. (laughs) But it's way more than that, isn't it? It's a positive lifestyle. We mentioned already that all of the things that are mentioned in this list have to do with our relationships. Specifically... Several times it's clear in this list, all these things have to do with our relationships in the church. Now, that's not to say that these are not also things that we should do with people outside the church. But Paul understands that the church is a great place to practice. You ever have one of those courses in school where you have practical instruction, and then you have a laboratory. Right? You know what it is? You know, I remember uh, biology. My mother was a science teacher, and we had classes, and we talked about the different parts of different animals and, you know, and such. And then I remember the time we had to go to a laboratory, we had to dissect a frog. You know what I'm talking about, Marcel. You know, that was was like real life stuff, okay? This is where it gets real. We're going to actually cut the frog up and look for all those body parts. Now, I didn't do such a good job. Mine didn't look much like a frog after I was done with it. But (laughs) the church is a great place, and we need to understand about this, church, it's where God intends for us to learn and grow how to love one another. Remember a couple of weeks ago, the sermon I did before that, we talked about the church and God's plan for the church and how we're supposed to be connected and how it's supposed to be a relationship and it's a spiritual family and we're doing life together. When you do life together, you get Exposed. Do you understand that? When we come together the way we ought to as a church, we're not just showing up here. If you're visiting with us today, we're not just showing up here on Sundays. In small groups and in other meetings and medium-sized groups and different ways and in just personal relationship, we're connecting with each other. This is a spiritual family. We're connecting with each other all week long. And when you live in close connection with people, The truth is, you get exposed. I put it this way. The closer you get to people, the more sin comes out. I never knew how much of a sinner I was until I got married. Luke, you know what I'm talking about. Luke Op, I'm talking about. Yeah, you know. You're laughing because you know. You know what I'm talking about been a Christian already. I had roommates in the church. And so, but you know, when I got married, I moved to this new level of intimacy and closeness. I never knew how much of a sinner I was. Then we start having children. (laughs) Joseph, my second son is here. After we got Joseph, I found out what a sinner I was. (laughs) No, but relationships, they expose you. And this is, instead of resenting this, we need to appreciate the opportunity. And let me mention a couple other things I noticed about this list. None of these things that are mentioned here are optional for Christians. Look at the language here. Each of you must put off falsehood. Verse 28 Who has been stealing must steal no longer. Verse 29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Does it look like God's word is wavering there at all? Do these look like suggestions? These look like optional behavior. Like this will be better than the alternative. <laughs> no, it isn't. On the other hand, why does it say when we get down there at the very end, after he's gone all through all these behaviors that are not optional, that we need to be ca- kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other? Because we're sinners. Because even when we're trying, even when we are we consider these standards and we hold to these standards, we fall and we fail. And that's when we need to forgive each other. Another good thing to practice. I can tell you, if you're going to have a good marriage, if you're married now or if you plan to be married someday, Perhaps the most important thing you need to learn is how to forgive each other. And I'm sure Luke Opp is not the only one in here that needs to know that. No, but here's the important... It's both. These things that are talked about, these specifics, these need to be standards that we hold to and expectations that we have for ourselves that we relentlessly pursue and will not let go of. At the same time, relationally, we fail each other. Right? What do we do? We forgive. Some of you may not know what I'm speaking of, but I'll speak to those who know. Several weeks ago, we had a brother, a much-loved brother and his wife, Marty Woot and his wife, Kathy, who came. In some ways, it doesn't matter if you know the history, you don't have the history, but 10 years ago, they left our church. Some very uh, difficult, some frankly ugly, sinful behavior. Something that hurt a lot of us in here quite a bit. Yet they have recently repented, been restored to the faith; they're a part of our church again. We invited them over so that they could be uh, reconciled and recognized in our whole fellowship. And I've never been so proud of this church as when I was introducing Marty Wooten and he was getting ready to come and speak. And I hadn't even finished my introduction yet, and I just said, "You know, we're excited, Marty, and Kathy, Wooten are here, Marty." And Kathy have been restored to our fellowship, and immediately there was a standing ovation. Spontaneous. See, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Real life, God's way. And I'm not saying it's easy. Some of these things in here might seem really easy to you, some of them are really hard sometimes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bitterness. Holding on to stuff. Now, if we got any brain at all, and I'm quite sure most of you do, we understand that holding on to a grudge and being bitter serves no purpose. The only person that's hurt is us. Somebody said one time that being bitter, one of the things talked about here is like, Drinking poison and expecting somebody else to get sick. Right? Isabel really liked that. I mean, the rest of you liked it, but Isabel really liked that. She's a good woman, Isabel. But God gives us the opportunity. He gives us plenty of practice to purge our souls, to change. You know, I never would have wanted that situation with Marty and Kathy Wooten to happen. None of us did, right? Marty and I had been friends for 35 years. I'd known Kathy and Marty since I was baptized in Gainesville, Florida, 35 years ago. Don't even bother thinking about how long that was before you were born. You know, and I'm not saying it was easy, but I praise God that God could work in my heart and change me from the inside out so that even in the most painful personal circumstance that I can ever remember in my entire life, I could be free of any bitterness or grudge. Who gets the glory for that? God does. Because I'm going to tell you, it took me a couple of years. I'm not proud of that. This is just real life, God's way, okay? This is me being honest. I'm not saying, you know, it took me a while. It took me a little longer than it maybe should have. I had to do a lot of struggling. I had to do a lot of praying. I had to do a lot of reading in my Bible. I still remember when Tom McCurry... Doesn't even know the realize the impact he had, he showed me that scripture where Jesus said you're supposed to love and forgive your enemies. I go, Well, Tom, I knew that was in there, but you didn't have to show that to me. It was really unnecessary. But it was necessary. I had to give God a chance to do something in my heart. You know, a lot of you know this already, but I'll share one of the things that mentioned here. It says, in your anger, do not sin. I've had a problem with anger since before I became a Christian and then continuing into my Christian life. Now, praise God, because God works. I have less of a challenge with that than I ever have. God has helped me to grow and to change. Some of you don't have any, you know, yet anger is not an issue for you. Others of you are just like me. You've got an anger problem. Sometimes people ask me, well, how did, that, how did that happen? How were. I think once I got serious about anger, it was as simple as this. And pardon me if I've shared this before, but I'll share it with you again as an illustration of how God can work in our life. I just went through the Proverbs and I wrote down by hand every scripture that I could find in the Proverbs, just the book of Proverbs, about anger and what it is and how God feels about it and what it does to you and what it does to other people. I just wrote every scripture about anger I could find. took me three three pages of notes of Proverbs. And every day for more than a year, I would start out my time, personal time with God, Reading through every one of those scriptures about anger. And I would start my prayers saying, God, I see what you're calling me to be. Empower me. Enable me. Change me. To be somebody different. And you know he's done that. Again, I'm not perfect, but I can tell you my wife, my children will tell you that it's different than it used to be. You can take anything in your life that needs to change. That God wants to change you to change. And if you just simply focus on it, you you read scriptures about it, you set your mind, you fill your mind, you fill your heart, you fill your soul by by study of the word, by prayer, and you just wait, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen in one day, and it may not happen in one week, and it may not happen over several months, but over time, you're going to change. You're going to be different. Do not limit the power of God. You know, I was going to have some more discussion, but we don't have time for that. Ah... Sorry, who was that? That was so disappointed. You wanted to share, didn't you, Maria? You wanted to be, you wanted to participate, didn't you? You could have raised your hand earlier. No, but one thing I was going to do if I had time, and I, I love the fact that while this is a large a large group, it's it's not too big that we can't have some some personal discussions, some some interaction at times don't have time but maybe share think about things that god has already changed if you're a disciple if you're a follower of jesus think about what god has already changed in your life and share that with somebody else to encourage them and to give god the glory Amen. for what has already changed in your life the other thing i want you to do and i challenge you to do last week sort of your assignment as it were is to choose just one thing in your life that you need to change now and pursue that. Share it with somebody else. Do something like what I did. Start reading scriptures, looking at what God and His Word have to say about that thing that you want to change and then just spend a little time. It doesn't have to be your whole prayer time. It doesn't have to be your whole Bible study. Just spend time every day and focus and let God see. Just say one more thing and then Russ Turner's gonna come and share his uh, story of his conversion. Very excited about that. There's one other thing about this text that I thought was very unusual. Right in the middle of this list of all the things that we're supposed to do and not do, and the positives and the negatives and right all that, was the same verse thirty. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why is that right in the middle? It's to remind us, first of all, that the reason that we can change is because the Holy Spirit, for those of you who are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, lives inside of us. He's empowering us. He's changing us. He's leading us. The Holy Spirit, God himself, living in us, working in us, is the source of this change. But the other thing that I think is so powerful, and I know, I suppose I've read this for many years, but it never hit me the same way. Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, when we disobey God and we fall short of God's plan for our life, I think, perhaps you're like me, I most of the time I just assume that God is mad at me. And certainly God is capable of anger, just like we are. And anger is not Anger itself is not necessarily sin. It's what you deal, how you deal with it. That's why I said earlier: in your anger, do not sin. If you try to go through life and never get angry, you are going to fail. Because there's some things that people do, and they deserve to be. You know, anger is a natural, understandable reaction. In your anger, do not sin. But here's the thing about God that perhaps we can still grow it under. Perhaps when we fall short and we sin, perhaps God is more sad than he is mad. You know, we know, I think a lot of us know what it's like to grieve. We've lost a loved one. Some of you have lost a parent, a mom, a dad. Even a husband or a wife. Even a child. Dear friends. I've lost several dear friends this year. My best friend from high school died last Saturday. Of cancer. Grieving is intense. What I want us to understand is when we don't take the opportunity God has given us. To rise above our sin and the character and the way of life and to live at a different level. As much as anything, God is just grieved. It hurts him so much. He's so sad. He hurts because he sees really in love, he understands that we're only hurting ourselves. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's let God give us that extreme makeover. Extreme makeover, God's attention. Thank you very much. Russ Turner, come and share with us.